was quite idealistic about a lot of things. And my friends would often say, oh, well, if you think that, uh, then why don't you, uh, you know, donate all of your money to people living in Africa? Uh, you know, if, if I have some idealistic comment about, you know, uh, everyone deserves a good quality of life, and so this was uh, meant to uh, be a reductio or just to, uh, to shut me up. Uh, but I started thinking about it a bit uh, that actually I should have to take this challenge seriously. If I really did think, you know, people were created evil, uh, then uh, you know, what does follow from all of this? Uh, is it the case that if I was living a relatively rich life, I have to do something to help people for it myself? Uh, and how far does this argument go? You know, exactly what, what follows from this? Uh, and I started thinking about what could I do? Uh, so if I really want to achieve these uh, to, to help people. Um, how could I do so? Uh, and in thinking about this, I uh, you know, divided uh, my life up into these uh, four categories of different ways in which uh, I could help. Uh, so one of them was through voluntary work. Uh, so I could volunteer in different ways, uh, volunteering at, uh, say, homeless shelters in the UK or for uh, NGOs working to help people in poor countries. Maybe I could volunteer in a poor country. Uh, I could uh, think about my career. How much good can I do? Uh, I was then uh, hoping to become a uh, researcher in moral philosophy, thinking about ethics, uh, which maybe a lot of people think career in philosophy could be pretty useless. I thought, no, it should actually be somewhat useful because you can try to answer questions like this and then uh, spread, the, spread the word about it uh, and come up with nice, powerful arguments. Uh, and uh, I think I was right about that, but that, that's another sector where I could do some good. Uh, another one is in personal relationships. That's what a lot of people focus on, uh, trying to help out uh, their partner and uh, their children, their family, uh, those they know. Uh, but I think that that's ultimately an area where I wouldn't go to help all that much compared to uh, how I can help in these other areas. Uh, although the ways I'll help would be very special to me and to those around. Uh, and another one is uh, through donations. Uh, so trying to think about uh, if I was just to donate money uh, that I've earned through my career. Uh, in some ways, this, this follows from the career. One thing I can do in my career is earn more money, and then I can, uh, can donate it uh, to try to help people in need. And you often hear some very impressive statistics for that, so I wanted to follow through on it and see, well, if I really wanted to donate a whole lot of money, what's the most I could achieve if I really wanted to, to do this? So I uh, sat down and uh, tried to find out how much I would earn as an academic, uh, and uh, I worked out that it was around about one and a half million pounds over my career. Uh, I encourage you to do things like this uh, sometimes. Not many people actually go that step and say, how much would that cost? Uh, you know, if I want to have a child, how much would that, how much does that tend to cost? Uh, these types of questions. It turns out there are answers, and they're not that hard to find uh, using Google. Uh, so uh, I then uh, had a bit of a, a go at calculating how much I would need uh, to live off. Uh, so the standard I set for this was I was living as a graduate student in Oxford at the time, uh, and having uh, quite a good life, uh, and living on, uh, that was, was about 12,000 pounds. It's a little bit complicated to work out, as I, as I was only around for like you know, 10 months of the year, so I had to pro rata and things like that. Uh, but it was something in the order of £10,000 per hour. Uh, and I worked out that over my life, uh, I would only need about uh, £500,000 uh, to live out the rest of my life uh, on that kind of level. Uh, and I'd be able to, at that level, have a very good and fulfilling life. Uh, I would be able to uh, spend a lot of time with my wife and with my good friends listen to a whole lot of fantastic music that I really like, uh, uh, read you know, the greatest books that have ever been written, uh, you know, uh, and uh, engage in a whole lot of activities with my friends, talk about really exciting things, uh, generally participate in uh, uh, social life. Uh, and I think that you know, pretty much all the things that we really think are important in life, I was actually happy uh, and were able to have. Uh, 
with, without a huge amount of money. I mean, I can come to, uh, so 500,000 wouldn't quite be enough to uh, factor in children, so we can talk about that later. Um, but it wouldn't need to change a lot much. Uh, basically, the answer is that I could donate about a million pounds uh, if I don't have any children, or about 900,000 pounds if I have a child, or 800,000 pounds if I have children. It doesn't change the story very much. Uh, so I thought about this, what could I do with the remaining million pounds? It's quite fun if you think about it like that. You know, if you do it all at once, and you think, wow, you know, instead of uh, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there, donating, try to think, well, if there's actually this much that I could donate, uh, it's really, really worth checking out where to give it, uh, and not just uh, to the first person who asks. Uh, and there's many ways that I can help people. Um, and so, a few examples are education, empowerment, uh, peace. Uh, but in this talk, I'm going to focus on health, as it's uh, a way that's possibly uh, one of the most effective there's also very good data for it. That's what means the best though, and we can talk about that in comments as well. Uh, but it's at least uh, somewhere that you can really see some strong uh, evidence. And if these other things uh, can be even more effective in health, then the conclusions I reach in this talk are going to be even stronger. Uh, so uh, that's something where, you know, that would just make my argument stronger if, if health isn't the most effective thing to focus on. So, then if we're wondering, like this type of question, how many lives do I save? There's a question about global health. Uh, there's a question about what metric to use to really be thinking about it. Uh, so one way to look at this is to look at different charities and look at the percent uh, that they spend on overheads or administration. Uh, you will have often seen these numbers where people will say, you know, 93% uh, of our money goes directly on programs, only 7% goes on administration, something like that. Uh, but it turns out that uh, what the charity does with their program is much more important uh, than exactly how much it spends on the uh, administration and uh, uh, So you will see in the moment that uh, it's very common for the programs one charity is doing to be twice as effective as those another is doing. And then it doesn't really matter whether you spend 93% of your money on the one that is uh, you know, only half as effective or 80% on the one that is twice as effective. But that would actually do it a lot more good. So it turns out this exact question as to whether they spend 80 or 90% on the programs really a secondary consideration compared to where they actually spend uh, And the real question that we want to know is, uh, for a given donation, how much benefit do people receive? Uh, there's a lot of research on this, uh, and uh, it really matters what intervention is being performed. So not just whether they're focusing on, say, uh, development, or even whether they're focusing on, say, AIDS and uh, preventing AIDS. It really matters exactly how they're trying to do that. Uh, so here's an example with uh, two different blindness charities. Uh, so it cost about $40,000 uh, to provide a guide dog to someone. Uh, so this is a figure, this, they range from about $40,000 to $60,000. Uh, you can find this out very easily by just going to some of the guide dog charities and they're, they're quite open about this uh, on their websites. Uh, about $40,000 and that will provide a guide dog which will live for some period of time. I'm not sure exactly how long. I think it's uh, and will provide uh, benefit to someone who's blind. However, uh, the uh, costs, according to the uh, World Health data, on uh, how much it costs to completely cure someone of uh, trachoma-induced blindness is about $20. Uh, so if you donated $40,000, you could either provide one guide dog or you could completely cure about 2,000 people. Uh, so that's an example of this huge discrepancy. This is a, it's a somewhat odd example because I'm comparing a developed world intervention, providing a guide dog to someone, say, in the UK, uh, to helping people in other countries. So a lot of people don't want to compare across borders like that, but I think it's the natural way to do it if you think that 
But could we take this idea further and not just look at insect blindness, but try to look at the whole of health? And uh, yeah, how do we compare apples and oranges in these cases? Like how do we compare to saving a life to, uh, to curing blindness? So there's a, there's a way that this is done uh, in uh, applied ethics or in uh, uh, health economics. And uh, people started with this question, uh, how many lives can we save? Uh, but there is this problem, there's uh, this truism that no one has ever saved a life. Uh, so we think that you can save a life, uh, so suppose someone's having a heart attack rush over and you, uh, you know, zap them with the electric things, uh, and uh, they jolt, you know, jolt back into a normal rhythm. Uh, but lo and behold, 30 years later, they die of cancer, or 40 years later, they die of something else. Uh, you know, everyone uh, so far dies. Uh, uh, the question is when they die. Uh, so how many years of life have you had for a person? So it would really matter if you were to, uh, say, avoid their heart attack, but they were going to die five years later, uh, from, say, a standard. Curing that heart attack would be less important than you know, curing a heart attack for someone who was going to live for another 20 years. Uh, because it matters for the person how long, how long they live. And you can think of that from your own perspective. If you're only going to live for another five minutes, that would matter a lot less than if you're going to live. <coughs> so the first point is that we can extend lives. So we can maybe ask this different question, how many life years can we save? Uh, but then there's also this, uh, this point about what is the quality of that life? Uh, and this is a pretty clear consideration. Uh, so it could be that have an option of uh, treatment for cancer, uh, but uh, your quality of life will be much lower if you're treated with an aggressive chemotherapy, but you might be able to live longer. Uh, and that's a trade-off that you have to think about yourself uh, as to whether the extra quantity of life is uh, outweighs the lower quality. Uh, similarly, um, there's a question about some treatments that are not life expecting. For example, we, we talked earlier about curative blindness. Uh, so then you could look at a life, let's say uh, 40 years of life, which is blind, you know, where you've got that health state of being blind, or 40 years of life where you're perfectly healthy. And it's obviously better to be uh, perfectly healthy. Uh, but that's not a case of, uh, of adding years on. We need, we need to factor in the quality somehow. And the kind of obvious way to do it uh, turns out to work pretty well, uh, which is to multiply by some number representing the quality. Uh, so we talk about how many quality adjusted life years we can save, they take into account both the quality and the quantity. Uh, it's the standard approach in public health, um, and they're known as qualities or dallies. Um, uh, there are some technical differences between qualities and dallies, uh, which will stand for disability adjusted life years, uh, but they're not very interesting. Uh, and I'll just talk about qualities in uh, So, just to sketch out you know, this approach, uh, so this is a schematic of a life here. Um, this person lives from 0 to 70 years or to 80 years, uh, and uh, uh, their quality of life changes over time. Uh, tracing out a curve uh, here. This is uh, perhaps a period of decline into ill health in uh, uh, middle age and then recovery and then several slow declines, followed by a rapid decline at the end. Um, uh, you can imagine a curve like this. In general, they're going to be much more proximate than this because we can't get very accurate data about this. Uh, so we, here are like some schematics. And here's the kind of way that you would use this idea. Suppose there's, a, there's a two different interventions you one of them uh, improves a life from birth uh, to death uh, by, let's say, moves it from 70% quality to 90% quality. Uh, another one uh, improves it by uh, 10 years, from 60 years to 70 years, by the same quality. Well, you can just look at the area of these two rectangles to work out which one adds more quality adjusted life years, and that's a, a measure of this. Uh, 
Um, it turns out that there are some kind of further maths people in the audience. There are some interesting technical reasons why this works as simply as it does. Um, uh, and if you did that, you'd find that this, this first one is 12 quality adjusted light years, and the second one is worth 7 quality adjusted light years. So the real benefit of these uh, is that we can compare apples and oranges within the area of health. This is a tool for doing that. Uh, there will be a rough measure. Um, uh, there are a whole lot of surveys done where they try to put disability weights on these things. So they say, how bad is it uh, to have uh, chronic anemia? How bad is it to have uh, uh, to be paralyzed? Uh, and they ask people their trade-offs. Uh, how much, you know, if you can either have uh, 10 years of life and perfect health, or you have 20 years of life blind, which would you prefer? And they ask people all the questions like this. And if they prefer, uh, let's say, 20 years of life uh, blind, then they say that the quality of life in the blind must be at least up to 0.5. Uh, and they narrow it down after asking all the questions like this. Uh, so these are, the next natural question is how much is one of these qualities worth? Uh, and an interesting thing if you're in the UK is that the NHS is prepared to spend £20,000 per quality. Uh, there's a group called NICE, uh, National Institute of Excellence, who, uh, who work this stuff out. Uh, and this is when, when it comes to new pharmaceuticals. They say we're only going to fund them. Uh, well, if we're sorry, we'll definitely fund them if they cost less than twenty thousand uh, pounds per year, uh, and we will uh, definitely not fund them if they cost more than thirty thousand pounds. And if they cost in between, we'll look at some extra features. Uh, and one way to think about this is that because there's eight thousand seven hundred and sixty hours a year, uh, this is about two pounds thirty per hour of health life. Uh, so that's a way to put it onto a scale that's easy to understand. Uh, now, uh, how much would you spend? Uh, do you think these are reasonable numbers? Uh, kind of uh, have a show of hands for people who would spend, you know, if I could give you five hours of healthy life for, sorry, for 10 pounds, you know, who would think that's a good idea? Or, uh, yep. Uh, uh, I know that if there was someone on the market reliably selling hours of healthy life at this price, uh, then uh, I would be very tempted. Other than my charitable obligations, I would, uh, I would use a lot of my spending money to, uh, to buy hours of health life at that price. If you compare that to going to, uh, to see a film or something, uh, which costs much more than that, and all it does is kind of upgrade one normal hour into a, like, a film hour, uh, <laughs> I would much rather just get entire additional hours that I can go fill with whatever I want, like typically involving all the things like reading books, which is actually free. Um, uh, so, uh, another way to think about this is if you have a choice between a salary of £20,000 per annum and being perfectly healthy, or a salary of £30,000 per annum for the rest of your life, but you're blind. Uh, if you prefer, I, I would prefer to get £20,000 and be able to remain to go to sea than to get £30,000 blind. And because the, uh, the standard blindness rates which you used are about half, uh, that would suggest that, uh, that I value a quality adjusted life here at more than so there's a few different ways of trying to get at this. And I think that it's pretty plausible that it really is worth this much. Uh, for people who earn as much as we do in the UK, uh, that uh, £20,000 is a good deal for a poll for us. Uh, now, another question though, we've looked at, at what's worth, but a separate question is how much does it cost? Right? So some things are worth more than they cost, which is why we buy them. Uh, so can we, can we gain the quality for less than this? So let's look at the case of HIV or AIDS uh, and preventing or curing it. Uh, we all know uh, that it's a major toll in uh, developing countries, particularly. Um, 
but there are heaps of different approaches to dealing with this. So let's look at a few of them. So here is a comparison of, uh, of two different approaches. So Kaposi's sarcoma is an AIDS-defining illness, uh, which is a skin condition uh, that you don't get unless your immune system has been so compromised that we say that your uh, uh, HIV has progressed to the cold AIDS. Uh, and uh, there's surgical treatment. And in comparison down here, we have antiretroviral therapy, uh, which is much more effective. Um, this is a case where longer bars are better in proportion to how long they are. Uh, and what you can see here is how many quality adjusted life years per thousand pounds. Now that's pretty good if you're getting a whole quality adjusted life year per thousand pounds, because we were just talking about 20,000 pounds as well. Um, and this here is the 20,000 pounds per quality barrier. So a bar would have to be longer than that for the NHS to definitely fund. Um, as it happens, uh, they do fund treatment for couple of sarcoma. That's around about there. Um, and I think it's a good thing that they do find it because for people in the UK, you know, we think it's worth that fast. Uh, now, if we zoom out though, uh, we can uh, look at another thing uh, prevention of transmission of HIV during pregnancy. Uh, this is really effective, uh, partly because you can narrow down the time that you need to strike. And you just need to avoid, you know, just have this small window uh, where you don't have transmission, and then you get to save uh, an entire life, uh, like, you know, free from. As opposed to antiretroviral drugs, we have to provide them every year and they're quite expensive. So, this is uh, quite a bit more cost effective again, and uh, we can barely see the uh, effectiveness of the treatment of sarcoma in comparison. Uh, and if we zoom out again, uh, we can compare it to distribution of uh, condoms, it's much more effective again. And uh, if we uh, zoom out again, uh, this is something that's not uh, for HIV AIDS, but this is one of the things that's about as effective as we know of, uh, which is distribution of bed medicine. Uh, and so this is an interesting kind of example of the cost-effectiveness landscape. And what you're really meant to remember from this is that some things are just way more cost-effective than others. And also, pretty much everything on here is really quite cost-effective, as that, that line shows us. That's the barrier needed to reach. It's not the case that this is all right and these things are scams or something like that. It, it, what I'm trying to show you is that you know, this thing's all right uh, and these things are amazing. So, uh, yeah, health programs in developing countries can be amazingly cost-effective, uh, about a thousand times more than, than we get here. Um, so instead of uh, uh, something like twenty thousand pounds per quality, uh, we should we can get uh, things more like twenty pounds per quality, uh, possibly even cheaper. Uh, uh, we're doing research on this, uh, and something like a thousand times more effective than is needed to be a good deal. So even if it was a thousandth as effective, we would pay for it for ourselves. Uh, and this shows us that our money is worth much more than we might have thought it is. Um, uh, each, you know, five pounds to thirty pounds uh, that you have in your pocket uh, is worth a year of healthy life, uh, but only if it's used on the best programs, and only if it's not used on you, uh, because you're going to have free access to these really effective things, uh, or you're in an area where malaria is being eradicated, and it's not a problem. So. Uh, but our money is worth a very large amount if we spend our months uh, and spend our So. These differences, and that data I looked at, is mainly used in the world by policymakers. Um, people at WHO try to tell people in poor countries what, uh, how they should spend their health budget, uh, and try to tell people in rich countries uh, how they should donate money through their aid agencies in order to help uh, poor countries. Uh, but it's also uh, of interest to us, because when we donate money, uh, we're trying to help people and to help them as much as possible. Uh, and suppose we want to donate, to donate money to fight AIDS. Uh, it really matters whether that's used to fund treatment of carbosis sarcoma or to fund condom distribution. Uh, it's not enough, actually, to just hear someone say, 
uh, you know, donate to this campaign to Five Aids. Uh, you, you want to find out what they're using. And you, you, know, you might think they'll just be using the most effective thing, but uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, a lot of the time, they're not. Uh, a lot of the people who are running these organizations are not familiar with this type of analysis. Uh, and they think that they're, uh, let's say, they're treating carbonosis sarcoma as effectively as possible. They don't know anyone in their kind of circle who, who can uh, cure it for cheaper than they can. So they consider themselves to be very effective, but they haven't done this kind of wider comparison. Uh, and if we're interested in, in you know, finding the most effective uh, AIDS charity we can find, why not look further and uh, say, what, you know, why did we focus on AIDS? What, what are we just trying to help people? Um, why discriminate against people who have other diseases? Why not uh, take them all equally and uh, just look at who we can help the most effectively? Uh, another thing that, that really follows from this uh, is this idea that where to give can be even more important than whether to give. Uh, so consider these three options. The first one is to donate nothing at all. The second one is to save 100 bodies. 100 quality adjusted life years by funding HIV transmission prevention. And the third one is to save uh, uh, 700 bodies by funding malaria deaths. Now, the difference between uh, these, these two here is 600 years of life. And the difference between these two is only 100 years of life. So, whereas the, the normal person, when thinking about this, where they're not familiar with this type of uh, discrepancies of effectiveness, would think, well, this is pretty bad. Doing either of these, you know, is fine. But actually, there's a much bigger difference between these than there is between those. Uh, this one here is not halfway to being like as good as you can be. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so uh, another thing to uh, uh, to bear in mind from all this is that we can do amazing things uh, while living in your own country, uh, doing whatever career you want to do, uh, and living an affluent lifestyle. Uh, you can still do a huge amount to help you. A lot of people imagine that in order to help, uh, you've got to go to a live a much more difficult lifestyle, be away from your friends and family, and maybe take up a career that you didn't want to take up. But what I'm trying to say is that even while having all those great features in your life, uh, if you were to donate 10% of your future income, uh, you could still have all of those things, and you could save at least uh, 3,000 years of healthy life, or three millennia of life at perfect health. Uh, it's, a really, it's a really big thing. Uh, so I thought about this, and I considered my options. Uh, so one option was to spend one and a half million pounds on myself, uh, live the standard kind of affluent, middle-class, uh, UK lifestyle. Uh, and this other option uh, was uh, to spend uh, half a million on myself and donate a million pounds to others. Uh, and I chose the second one. Uh, it's uh, still a great quality of life. As I said before, it has pretty much everything that uh, you know, one would think is a, is a good life. Uh, I can save uh, at least 30,000 quality-adjusted life years or 300 centuries of perfectly healthy life uh, while having this kind of great life. Uh, so, you might be wondering, how, how can this be possible? Is this too good to be true? Uh, and I think that this slide helps to explain uh, what's going on there. So this is the world income distribution. Uh, I think it's the most important uh, chart in all of economics. Uh, you don't see it very often, though. Um, a lot of people are more focused on the financial crisis or something. But this shows the financial crisis is nothing uh, compared to what else is going on in the world economically and with the current regimes really forcing this. Uh, but uh, here we've lined everyone in the world up, uh, from uh, poorest to richest. And the height of uh, the line at any point is how, uh, how much uh, income that person has. Uh, <coughs> this chart has been adjusted uh, to take into account the fact that money goes further in poorer countries. So you might think, well, these people here only have you know, uh, one fiftieth of the people here, uh, but it goes a lot further in those countries. But that's already been adjusted for. 
so that's called uh, it's US dollars purchasing power parity adjusted. And it's income per household member. Uh, so you take the household income and divide it by the number of people in the house. Uh, and uh, as you can see, it's, it's incredibly unequal to uh, with, uh, you know, to all intents and purposes, everyone really below the 70th uh, percentile uh, having uh, almost nothing to people above. Uh, but uh, what's interesting is that all of you uh, and, uh, and me uh, will be in the richest 2% uh, uh, of uh, the world income distribution in your lives. This is, uh, in fact, probably you will be in the richest 1%. Uh, uh, it's interesting to compare with the, uh, uh, the Occupy movement uh, because in terms of uh, the global income distribution, we are the one percent uh, or at least the two percent. Uh, and a lot of the people who are protesting are going to be in the one two percent uh, And this is something that uh, there's a lot fewer protests about. Um, and uh, it is actually a bigger deal. Um, and it's because these people, uh, if go back, um, have so little money, and we have so much money. That's why it is that by giving up a relatively small portion of our money, uh, we're able to help them so much because uh, we, you know, we have uh, you know, tens or hundreds of times as much money. Uh, so it turns out we're giving away a tax over that is you know, more than the entire amount that these people will earn. Um, and then by giving it away to most effective organizations, uh, we can actually spend it even more effectively than they can. Uh, so we can find very targeted things uh, which they can't easily buy. An example of that might be uh, a deworming program uh, where it uh, gets much more cost effective to run a deworming program school and have all the students go and take a pill than it is uh, to sell pills in a shop and have each person come in and buy them individually. So because we've got access to some interventions like this, we can actually spend the money better than they can in some cases. So uh, uh, this takes us to giving what we can, uh, uh, which is my response to all of this. Uh, so I thought about this, uh, I became familiar with a lot of these figures, uh, I looked up quite a lot of them myself uh, in about 2005, probably. Uh, and uh, I decided I was going to uh, uh, donate uh, about two thirds of my income over my life. Uh, and uh, in particular, uh, to donate uh, everything above 18,000 pounds per annum. Uh, and so that was enough uh, for me to get by on. In fact, it was enough for me to get by on and also uh, to contribute uh, to a mortgage. Uh, I thought all about this and tried to work out whether I should rent for the rest of my life, whether that would be more effective than buying a house, but I decided to buy a house and then, uh, then when I get to about retirement uh, to start uh, spending down the capital on the house and basically to die without the house and donate the house. Uh, uh, this is not that hard to be financial. Uh, but uh, basically it looked like it was going to be, I'm going to give slightly more money away over my whole life if I owned a house halfway through and then got rid of it in the end uh, compared to a very it's not actually clear that that's true. I encourage you to think about things like this for um, uh, But uh, uh, so overall, I've been able to live on much less than 18,000 pounds. It's just that, that I needed to get the house early in order to get that thing to work. Uh, so, uh, uh, what we can uh, is a society of people who care really strongly about improving the lives of people in developing countries. Uh, maybe they're willing to think about things like the idea of uh, over renting uh, for the rest of your life or questions like that. How, we, how am I practically going to manage things in order to really go to help people as much as I can? Uh, each member makes a pledge to donate at least 10% of their income to wherever it is that they think can most effectively help people in poor countries. So we care both about helping give more, sorry, both giving more and giving more effectively. Uh, and we run a website that collects and shares information about how people can do that. Uh, 
uh, and helps to uh, uh, show people you know, the answers to questions about how does uh, giving away a lot of money affect your happiness? Does it increase it or decrease it? Uh, is there really much of a sacrifice to be made? There's a financial sacrifice. Is there actually a sacrifice in your well-being? Uh, actually, there's a spoiler. Uh, it looks like there isn't. Uh, so uh, in that case, it's a bit of a no-brainer to, uh, to do this thing. Uh, and a nice way to illustrate these two different aims is with this uh, chart where we've got here the percent given. And the first idea is to get them to give more. Sorry, and uh, that's to improve the impact that they're having by getting to give more, so they'll have more impact. And then the second idea is to get them to give more effectively, uh, which pushes out this way. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys see Dead Poet Society, but that's uh, too early for you guys, but there's, there's a chart like this in there. And uh, uh, as you can see, the total impact that you can have uh, increases as, as the product of these two things. So it's really important to be able to do both of them. If you just did one or just did the other, you will achieve a lot less than half of what you achieve if you did both. Oh, this is an update. Uh, so uh, that's, that's always a nice uh, surprise. <laughs> I think we currently have about 340 members uh, and uh, you have pledged uh, more than $140 million now. Um, and this comes to something you know, from about uh, that's, uh, 3 to uh, 16 million of the adjusted life years uh, in terms of the lifetime. Of And uh, uh, we have local chapters uh, here at Oxford and also at Cambridge, uh, London, Princeton, Harvard, Rutgers, uh, San Diego, Canberra, and uh, possibly some other places we have. Uh, and uh, you can find out more about this at givealongcap.org. Uh, so, in conclusion, uh, we uh, here are exceptionally wealthy compared to people in developing countries. Uh, and we should take that very seriously, but we shouldn't just beat ourselves up about it. A lot of talks end with people beating yourself up about that and going home and feeling bad. Uh, that's not how I want to end this talk. <laughs> uh, the point is that we're like, really comparatively powerful for reasons that we did nothing to deserve. Um, and that means that we can help people more. Uh, because uh, uh, through no kind of fault or kind of good work of our own, we've uh, ended up in very powerful positions, uh, which we can use to, uh, to help people uh, by a vast amount. Uh, our money can do hundreds of times more for them than it can for us because we're already very getting to the really effective things in our lives. But only if it's given really wisely. Uh, there's this point about where to give Zoom more important. And the world is an unfair place with a great deal of suffering, but we can each do a tremendous amount to help make it better. Uh, and I urge you to do so. Uh, the, uh, uh, we have this pledge to give 10%, um, and also there's an idea that we're, we're uh, experimenting with called trying out giving. And uh, uh, we have uh, forms for this back if anyone's interested, uh, where you can, instead of making a pledge uh, over the rest of your life to, or until you retire uh, to get 10%, you can try out a smaller pledge, for example, uh, for the next uh, next year or you know, until I finish my degree, uh, I'm going to try out uh, giving 5% you know, of my spending money or something like that to, to see if you can do this. Uh, so I encourage you to think about that as well. Uh, if, you, uh, if you like the idea but not ready to make um, a big pledge. Scale. The horizontal scale is just the number of years. Uh, 
so the, uh, there are several different methods uh, for doing it. Uh, the uh, basic idea is that you survey a lot of people, ideally people who have time to think about the question. You get occasionally some bad surveys where they just ask people very quickly to come up with answers to these things. Uh, but then there are, uh, in fact, three different ways of doing it. Uh, one is called visual analog scale, where you just give them a line that goes from zero to one, and you say, you know, can you put a mark in here where you would say uh, being deaf is, and now can you put a mark in here where you say suffering moderate pain uh, in the morning scale, uh, you know, and so on. You ask for all of these things, and uh, that that's not a great measurement. That was uh, decent enough in the early days, but we can do better than that now. They have these other methods, methods like time trade-off, where, as I said earlier, you ask them uh, if you could either have 10 years of perfectly healthy life, or if you could have some larger number of years of uh, life with a certain condition they describe, how many years would you have for um, That's the time trade-off. And there's another method called the standard gamble, where you ask um, if you could either uh, be blind from now on, or you could have a chance of dying, 10% chance of just dying. Uh, which would you rather? Uh, and then they ask, you know, what about a 12% chance or five percent chance? You know, ask for different numbers and find out where they would be different. And then they say, you know, if they say that uh, they would be uh, willing to accept a 10% chance of dying to avoid being blind, uh, and then more, that's like saying that being blind is worth 90% of the quality of life that's So there's a couple of different measure, uh, measures. They give slightly different results. Um, so I wouldn't think that the quality gradients are precisely accurate. You know, if the if the number I saw somewhere was say 80%, I would think, oh, maybe it's 70%, maybe it's 90%. I'm not really sure. Uh, but when you combine that with the empirical data about how much more effective something about money is, uh, it turns out that um, uh, you know some of these interventions uh, are 10 times as effective as others, or 100 times as effective as others. And so an issue as to whether it would actually 70% quality of life or 80% uh, kind of balances out in the wash when you get those really large discrepancies. And I think that's actually what means. Uh, what has meant that a lot of people haven't really taken this stuff seriously. They've thought, how could you measure this? How could you compare different health states and different, different forms of cure to each other? It sounds impossible. And uh, it sounds impossible to do very accurately. But what's interesting is that you don't need to be very accurate in order to actually get really action-guiding information from it, uh, because some other things are so different. You know, it would have to be that one health state is 100 times worse than another in order to justify funding its uh, treatment. Uh, other questions? Yes, on average, how many charities do you guys analyze or assess on a yearly basis? And do charities approach you, or you go and... We, we get a bit of both, um, although we mainly uh, like to approach charities uh, rather than the other way around because we're interested in trying to find the very best ones uh, and to do that uh, based on the evidence uh, that exists around them. So to look through the evidence and find uh, that, uh, for example, uh, 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 long-lasting uh, insecticide-treated uh, bed nets are very effective. So who is distributing them? Uh, look at several groups who are distributing them, try to find out who we trust the most or who has the most efficiencies in their, in their uh, pipeline and so on. Uh, and uh, we found that uh, AMF was particularly good uh, at doing that, so we moved, uh, you know, last week perhaps. Uh, and let's see, the Antiplanarian Foundation. Uh, and so we were often focused on the intervention first, and then we tried to find out who was doing it. Um, 
I'm not sure if the numbers of uh, particular uh, uh, charities that we're discussing here. It's probably something between like three and ten uh, to give them full time. Shovel correct if I'm not If you really, really care about problems, some of the problems we've been talking about, would it not be best use of your time and perhaps your money as well to and lobby governments to change the way they give international aid? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it could be. I, I do that as well. Um, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's not clear. Um, so the, it's actually very interesting if you're here in Britain. Uh, the current uh, Conservative government has uh, uh, had a big focus on what they call value for money. Uh, and that is actually uh, pretty much exactly what we're talking about when we talk about cost effectiveness. Uh, and uh, I think that there's a kind of idea of here the phrase value for money, you think more. We want to make sure these donors are getting their value for money, we're protecting the donors or something. Um, but uh, that's just the, the kind of spin on it. I think it's uh, equally applicable. You know, it's the same concept, which is you want to get as much as possible for the amount you put in. Uh, and that's relevant uh, from a moral perspective to help people as much as possible. If I'm going to donate a million pounds over my life, I want to help you know, twice as many people as I can, uh, so I really care about that. So there has been a big impetus on that, uh, and uh, uh, the type of thing I like to talk with different others and uh, try to do what I can to nudge them into effective treatments. And it could be that uh, some larger things, you know, maybe trying to change uh, world trade policy uh, could be something which, uh, you know, through lobbying, you can get a very large amount of leverage, perhaps. It's, it's a lot harder to assess some of those things when you've got a small chance of a huge return uh, because there's not much of a track record to go on. Uh, maybe if you look at something like ending slavery, uh, that's, that's something that had a kind of small chance of a huge return which actually worked. Um, although you have to look into the details and find out whether it was the type of thing whose time had come socially or whether it was uh, the fact that a few people managed to make it happen uh, before its time had come. Uh, but uh, yeah, we take these things seriously, although it's harder to. In general, we don't think there's a, it's obvious that health charities are more effective in other ways of helping people in poor countries. Uh, it could be that, say, education could be more effective, or fighting corruption could be more effective, or uh, trying to overturn trade policy could be more effective, uh, perhaps other things. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that we're able to kind of, within health, uh, to find some of the most effective things, uh, which is quite nice. Whereas in the other areas, we have less of, less of light to see by uh, to work out what's the most effective. So that's why most of our recommendations are there. Uh, but we would, uh, we would love to, uh, to go and extend uh, more into other areas as well. There is something you have to think carefully about, though, because if you can get one person who learns a lot more in their lifetime than you, to donate the same or even a smaller, smaller percentage, you could do that, do that more good than you could personally. Yeah, but I'm not saying you shouldn't do both. Yeah, I think that that's right. Uh, so there are potentials to uh, to help a lot by, uh, for example, I mean, when it comes to uh, to high net worth individuals, uh, they have a lot of people approaching them already <laughs> to uh, to give money. Uh, so it's not as easy as it seems. There are a lot of charities who already spend a lot of their budgets, uh, you know, their outreach budgets, approaching such people. Um, uh, but trying to start uh, a movement to try to get other people, um, uh, either people you know, from normal means or people. Uh, to, to give uh, could be a very effective thing to do. Uh, so.
I'm really sorry that I came in late because of the class, so if this was already answered, just ignore it and tell me later. Sure. But I'm really um, curious in terms of your personal decision to do this. How do you deal with sort of thoughts about insecurity in the future? <laughs> Financial insecurity, welfare state, children, house, all that. It just seems really hard to me to contemplate thinking ahead and calculating, you know, rent versus mortgage. Who yeah. knows what rents are going to be like in 50 years? Yeah, that's right. So that's pretty much what happened to my spreadsheet, unfortunately, uh, is that I had ended up with a, with a term in there for like what's going to happen to interest rates. And it turns out that if they're high enough, you know, then one of these things becomes better. If they're low enough, the other one becomes better. And it was very hard to get much progress beyond that. Uh, but I, uh, basically, the way I think about it is this. Which is that I was spending uh, in today's terms, so you know, inflation adjusted, uh, about uh, something like ten or twelve thousand pounds per annum, and I was living uh, in a fine flat in Oxford that was just like really nice. Uh, and now I've got uh, uh, eighteen thousand pounds per annum to spend, uh, and that's a lot more. Um, you know, I could lose a third of that, and I'm still have as much money as I had before. Uh, and uh, I've been uh, uh, saving that by investing it. In uh, and been saving some of it, uh, and paying off the mortgage, uh, and that's created a buffer, uh, so I feel pretty secure. Um, and I've managed to uh, donate something like fifty thousand pounds to uh, some of the charities that we recommend, uh, while you know, feeling quite secure. It's quite nice if you choose to do this type of thing early in your life, uh, particularly while you're a student, which is what was the case with me, uh, because then uh, you know that. Uh, going to be earning a lot more than 10% more you know, later than you are now. In my case, when I start to give everything about 18,000 pounds, 18,000 pounds is a lot higher than uh, as what I was earning. Uh, and obviously, I'm giving more than 10% as well. Uh, if, I, if I did start earning 17,000 pounds, I would still be 10%. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's quite a lot of money. And, and there's something that strikes me as really sad if you get a whole lot of altruistic people and they're all kind of so worried about these kind of like unlikely scenarios uh, that they don't help people in poor countries who are just obviously much poorer than them and who are themselves facing a whole lot of risky scenarios. So it could be the case that I think maybe in the future my wife will get a condition which is uh, really rare and which the NHS won't treat, which would cost you know uh, £100,000 to be able to treat her and I wouldn't have that money and what would I do or my child. Um, and then you can have a lot of these kind of what if things. Uh, but uh, there's just a, there's even more chance that such things will happen to the poor people who are, who are trying to help. Um, and uh, so I feel you know, okay with making this decision. Uh, and uh, another thing is that, it, here's, a, here's an interesting point I think, which is that a lot of people, this occurs to a lot of people when they're thinking about whether to give to charity or not, but it doesn't occur to them when they're thinking about whether to earn a lot of money or not. Uh, so if you've thought at some point in your life, should I can go into finance or going to, maybe not finance, but some other area where I get a large amount of money, maybe management consultancy or something. A lot of people say, no, nah, I, I, you know, I want to live the vision of my life and do what I think, you know, is kind of right by myself. Um, so I'm going to do that. But they don't think, well, what if my child gets sick and I need that extra hundred thousand pounds in order to pay for it? The only way I could have got that money is if I was a management consultant. Uh, that never occurs to people um, when they're imagining kind of a normal life and then getting more money. It only really occurs to them when they're imagining having less money. Uh, and so I think there's something funny going on in the way we're thinking about it, and where it just ultimately end up being advised towards ourselves or, uh, or something. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I, there's some discrepancies in how we're thinking about it. I, I definitely have had these thoughts, uh, but I've managed to convince myself that I've just uh,
what do you think are the strongest critiques of getting what you get? And like, what do you think about those critiques? Uh, good question. Uh, yeah, I would uh, rather hear one of them because, uh, uh, but one, there are various critiques that uh, are so strong that I agree with them, right? Um, so people think that they're disagreeing with me, but actually they're agreeing with me. An example of that would be someone saying, you know, even what we can is just about health, and you know, what we know, what about these other things? Maybe you know, we need to fight the root of the problem. We need to do something about the system. And we need to uh, deal with that. Uh, and you know, my response to that would be twofold. One is to say, yeah, that could well be right. Uh, if you think that that's a really important problem, uh, maybe you want to spend your career working on that problem. Uh, and I think some people say, you know, you need to use your career. Uh, uh, and I'd also say, if you think it's that important, that you should use your whole career on it. Uh, and then probably you should be donating to people who are working on that course as well. Um, so donating to groups who are trying to fight some of these systemic things. Um, and then it actually doesn't look like they're in that much disagreement with you. So I think that that's, that's what generally happens, uh, is if someone says, well, it's not just about money, it's also about the time, I'd say, yeah, it's about, it's about both. I think that this type of argument here shows that money's worth a lot more than most people would have thought, uh, and it's difficult to see exactly how your time can be can lead to such big benefits for other people. And what I've tried to show really is that um, is that you know the first thing you should do is kind of uh, you know I've given you an argument that take out your wallet and say okay we're going to have to you know, donate ten percent of my money or something, uh, and then there's a separate question which I also you know give a hold of my time on these things, and uh, maybe there are strong arguments that you should. I think it's actually a little bit harder to run those arguments. I think that asking people for 10% of their time is actually more of a sacrifice for that person than 10% of their money. Uh, uh, but maybe you can do even more good. Uh, only if it's, if it's done very effectively, though. Uh, one of the really nice things about donations is that uh, we can uh, do, I mean, it's actually this amazing thing. If you, if you try to uh, go to a poor country and try to help direct, maybe you help construct a school or something like that, uh, you're take, doing something you're not very good at. In fact, a poor country where labor is like fairly plentiful, and there are a lot of people uh, who don't have very large incomes who couldn't be doing that construction. Uh, and if I, you know, I remember at one point I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if there was some system whereby uh, you know you pay people up with charities such that whatever skills you had, it would let you use them as well as possible to help those poor people. So if you're really good at computer programming, it let you use your computer programming to help poor people. If you're really good at, uh, at uh, you know some other area, let you do that. Um, and, uh, you know, but that's actually what the charity sector is. Uh, the idea is that you do whatever it is uh, that you want in your career that's the best combination of like, personal satisfaction and uh, income earning. Uh, and then that gives you money, which you then can spend. Uh, so if you're really good at computer programming, you'll get a high salary in computer programming. And then you can donate that salary to people who are really good at building houses. And they will you know, build the houses or whatever it is. So the, uh, while it feels kind of crass uh, to talk about money, uh, it is actually uh, a very useful system to help people in all places. Uh, any more questions? Uh, yeah. Um, I was talking to a friend about uh, these ideas, and uh, he's sufficiently convinced that he's not spending some of his time trying to convince other people, mm -hmm. but um, he said to me one time that he thought of a snag in the argument that he wasn't sure about, and it was that if he donated his money to help somebody in an impoverished nation, then they would continue with their life, um, for instance, living on trash heap, 
collecting resources from that, um, except they wouldn't have parasites or they wouldn't have malaria. Uh, whereas he could spend that money to go to Paris and go to the Louvre and see amazing artworks. So his basic point was that although he could help this person, their life wouldn't contain any more of the things that he valued, like reading books or seeing amazing artworks. So I think that the, the, the flaw in his argument is that he's going to have trouble getting to the Louvre for 50 pence, uh, which is uh, what it costs to, uh, to uh, yeah. treat a child with parasites. And if he scales it up and says, okay, well, admittedly that's, that's true, uh, but I would be able to help 200 children or something cheapest price to get to the Louvre and to uh, look at the paintings and then come back again. Um, uh, then it becomes like you know quite a lot less clear because you're you're helping uh, 200 people uh, you know, avoid this this problem. You are adding uh, several years of life to these people. Uh, these people will have worthy projects. They'll have lovers. Uh, uh, you know people they, they care desperately about. There'll be people who care desperately about them. Uh, and those people's lives will be really improved uh, by uh, having this extra time to to you know have many of the kind of classic things about the human condition with the good things uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, also you can kind of try to imagine what the other people would think about the group arguments. Uh, if you're grounded by them and say, look, guys, I've thought about this, and it seems to me that what's really important is seeing these great artworks, and you guys aren't going to be doing any of that, so I'm going to keep the money. I can't imagine that there would be like universal agreement with that. It's like it's like it's obvious, yeah, that's right, you've worked that out, haven't you? So I often try to run things past that, that kind of perspective. Like if I were to, uh, to talk to the people, the beneficiaries of, of my donations, uh, and talk it out with them, you know, what, what kind of conclusions would we come to? Maybe they wouldn't be aware of a certain thing. They would say, this bed net thing, I don't like it. Uh, you know, and I'd have to convince them that actually it does save lives, and you're not aware of the statistics on this, but they've been worked out, and it's, it's actually very effective. And so I kind of figure, if, you know, if they could accept that, then they'd probably go along with it. Uh, and in some cases, I find this, this approach of focusing on the beneficiary first um, uh, is really useful and illuminating. So for example, some people uh, don't like giving what we can because they think that you should be very quiet about your giving, uh, and you shouldn't tell anyone. Whereas the idea of giving what we can is more like a petition or a public pledge to say, um, you know, we think that, that there's real problems in the world with the, between the poor countries and the rich countries, uh, and you know, maybe we disagree internally about exactly what should be done about that. We have uh, but we, you know, we're all willing to put our money where our mouths are and say, look, this is a serious issue. I'm willing to, you know, use 10% of my entire income trying to do what I can to help deal with this. Uh, I hope others will too. And you know, trying to raise awareness like that, get people talking about it, get people interested, and show people that we care. Uh, whereas it can be a lot more difficult, I think, to do that. Uh, it, it can be more difficult for some people to donate if they think no one else is. Uh, so part of the idea is to cure that by showing that, that some people are. Uh, and uh, so. When I think about that, and then I imagine, yeah, it's, it's the case that, that more, more money will be donated if we're public about our giving than if we're private about our giving. Uh, and so more people in poor countries will have their lives improved uh, by this. And then if I try to imagine what would those people think, uh, would they rather that I was quiet about my giving uh, and that you know, several of their friends or family uh, you know, uh, you know, suffer from additional parasites or uh, early death and so on. Uh, but at least, you know, Toby was private about giving and it's very virtuous. I just don't think that they would buy that at all. I don't think that that's, you know, how many lives are worth uh, dying so that I can be virtuous by not telling people about my giving? The answer is God.
God has given what we can uh, balance the most effective causes and the most important causes. How do you balance that? Because for a community, a particular community, maybe the most important thing is addressing malaria. But the most effective or the most cost effective one is maybe is so um, how do you balance that? Yeah, so so I'm trying to work out exactly what you mean by uh, important. So it's the, the, the biggest one, is that yes. the idea? Yeah. So the one at the heart of the community. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my approach is uh, uh, to do to try to do what I can to help people, help as many people by as much as possible. Um, and so uh, it might be, for example, that, uh, uh, that that's not something which is at the heart of the community. So I'll give you an example. So in Oxford, uh, if we try to look at what in our community big issues. Um, we might think, for example, to go past lot of homeless people in the street, maybe homelessness is a, is a big social issue in Oxford, uh, maybe lack of affordable housing is another big issue. But suppose there was someone in Oxford, just one person who had a rare illness, um, which uh, they couldn't treat, but let's say I could fix it for them, um, uh, for some small amount of money. You know, uh, then it seems to me that even though that's not often a big issue in Oxford, uh, but if, if I could work on that more effectively than anything else, that's what I should be working on. I could, you know, turn this person's life around. Um, uh, so I think that in some cases uh, it can be that, uh, that there are things which are not the biggest issues uh, but which are more effectively dealt with. Uh, economists would say it's kind of more effective on the margin um, and uh, you know, as in if you could just do a little bit more how much impact would you have. Uh, we, we shouldn't of course be blind to things where uh, maybe if we could get enough money together we could make uh, maybe something that's even more effective to put in a lot at once in order to get it to happen. Uh, so I definitely want to take that seriously. Uh, at the moment, the uh, total amount of money that Give What We Can members are able to donate each year is just in the kind of single millions of dollars. Uh, so it's not, uh, you know, uh, it's not like a vast amount that will be able to do some huge thing at once. Uh, if it were, then I would have thinking about those things. Uh, did, did that answer your question? Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah. Um, does Giving What We Can do any research into um, how it can be most effective at encouraging effective giving? So for example, there's the Giving What We Can pledge, which is quite specific, and what other things consider, and so on. And yeah, how about that? we certainly spend a lot of time thinking about it, uh, and uh, trying to work out uh, if we want to help people, you know, in all kinds of as much as possible, uh, what, should we, what should we do? And, uh, uh, and I thought about this for quite a long time before launching the organisation and decided that building around a pledge would be good idea. Uh, and the 10% pledge was chosen for a number of reasons, including uh, the connection to, uh, uh, to tithing, uh, and it's often been a historical figure. Um, uh, and it's also a round number. I've said it's 11.7%. <laughs> Everyone would be literally funny and said, uh, justify yourself. Um, uh, and uh, that is a large enough amount that it's, it's clear that people are being really serious about it. But it's it's uh, it's not uh, you know, too big an ask. Uh, that I mean, if you remember that that chart we had a little while ago about uh, how uh, how rich most of the people who are pitching this to are, i.e., people in rich countries, um, are typically going to be here. I mean, if you're a poor person in a rich country, you know, maybe you'll be there. If you, look, I mean, if you have a look, uh, so the, the median income in the uh, in the UK, although uh, well, this is after taxes. The median after-tax income is about £16,000, which is about here. Um, so that's like the 50th, you know, the, the, the typical person in the UK is like, somewhere around there. Um, 
Uh, it does depend on exactly whether they've got children at home or whether they've left homes and things like that. But at some point in their life, they'll be up here and you know, maybe sometime they'll be done. Uh, and we're all uh, uh, very wealthy. So we, if we had 10% less money, so if, you, if we moved us down that much, we would still often be in you know, the richest few percent. Uh, I tried this when I was here uh, on a, uh, a rather meager uh, scholarship from Baylor College, uh, where I was living on uh, 8,000 pounds per annum. I don't know how that compares to the standard uh, undergraduate um, but uh, and I, you know, I we've got a calculator on our website which I uh, got the data for from various sources and put it together, uh, and uh, that showed that I was in the richest 10% of the world's population, uh, living as a student uh, on a rather small stipend. That like my friends and family were surprised that I could live on at all. I think you're probably not surprised because <laughs> you're doing it. Um, and it was just interesting that even if I gained 10%, I would still be in the richest 10% of the world's population, people living on this relatively small scholarship. So uh, that was a real eye-opener for me. Uh, and so we chose 10% of the apartment because we thought that well, it is achievable uh, for a lot of people. Uh, and we have uh, definitely uh, you know, tried out a few other things. We haven't, uh, don't think we've conducted any formal experiments on it. Uh, but in fact, this, this program of trying out giving is, uh, is part of that, is trying to say, well, what's a way that we, you know, we, we want to have a kind of signature pledge uh, that we can all kind of get together around rather than some of our members do X, some do Y, some do Z. Uh, but to try and get people uh, uh, thinking about that, try something out, make it seem a bit more approachable. So yeah. Uh, if you have any ideas, you know, then run them through the Give What We Can Oxford committee. Uh, yep. Is there a standard way of doing it in terms of, um, again, you have already said that, but do people have sort of like a standing order from their own account to their personal donation account? At the beginning of, like, I'm just thinking, sort of in terms yeah. of behavioral economics, how do you do this to make people I think that's a good question. We, we don't talk much about that on the website or generally. Everyone works out themselves, but it would actually be easier to have some streamlined I've only recently started, a, uh, I set up an extra bank account within my account, um, which is like my charity savings account. Once I realized I could do this without attracting any more fees, uh, and then I have a you know, thing where every month a certain amount is moved in, and so, so I can save up the amount. And that definitely was a smart move. Uh, it also means that uh, basically, then the amount of money you see in your spending account is the amount of money you can spend. And if you run out of it, uh, it's not that you don't end up giving, it's that you end up uh, eating less good food for a bit or something like that, or going without something that you planned on having uh, if you failed to budget properly. Uh, so it's nice getting to kind of abstract those things away. You could probably uh, have more suggestions about things like that. Uh, it's also possible. Uh, people to, uh, I think one option is to give to the uh, donor advice fund that we have set up. Can you say something on that, Michelle? Um, yeah, so it's actually called a charity cross, because um, it's a UK thing, and it's essentially um, a really scaled down version of the charity. We've just um, set it up because previously we encouraged people to give direct to the charity we recommended, um, so that they knew that we weren't like taking a cut, whatever. Um, but the nice thing about the um, charitable trust is it's um, super easy. You can just set up a direct debit to it or like pay in various other ways. And then we just read it to um, our recommended charities. So it's a nice easy way of giving to like um, all of our recommended charities or choosing which of those you want to give to. Um, and it's on the website. Um, I think, in fact, it went up today, possibly tomorrow. It will anyway, be live in a couple of days. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so an advantage of something like that uh, is that, uh, well, 
I, you know, a direct debit can be quite a convenient way of doing things. Uh, I hadn't been giving like that because I liked to uh, be able to give to wherever I currently thought was most effective. And I would feel really bad about turning off a direct debit. Uh, so it had some kind of psychological pull to, you know, behavioral economics point, uh, to give it to a place which I no longer thought was as effective as possible. Uh, so I thought that uh, I would go with an approach of just at the end of every uh, financial year to just sit down for a while, uh, look at the evidence, see what you know, the current state of the play was, and do what we can do uh, work, and uh, then choose where I want to donate. Um, and that's how I've been doing it. But, uh, another advantage is that if you think there are some potential advantages of giving earlier and some potential advantages of giving later in life, I think the biggest advantage of giving earlier in life are uh, that uh, you can uh, help encourage other people, inspire other people to do so, and do it together as a group. Uh, and also that you'll actually do it. Uh, whereas I think most people who decide they're going to give later in their life uh, don't. Uh, so it's a nice kind of commitment to us that you will be able to do that. Advantages of giving later can include uh, that maybe you'll have more information about you know, where are the most effective places. Uh, whereas if you uh, donate uh, through this uh, charitable trust that we've set up, you can potentially get the best of both worlds by giving earlier and then deciding where to disperse later to Oh, um, yeah, yeah, no, it is. Sorry, I was just going to say, and um, another thing is that um, because it's like a scale down charity, it can get gifted even if the money goes to an American charity. Oh, um, yeah, that's a, that's a big advantage. Yeah, um, so Project Healthy Children and the UN are both US charities, and so the trust has to do a bit of paperwork, but it can then get gifted on those things, which like, may not be relevant at the moment if you're all students, but um, it's a yeah, bit of fun. I, I should also say that. Uh, um, each country has its own idiosyncratic way of dealing with tax policy about giving. And so uh, uh, if you're in the UK, um, then uh, gift aid means that you get an additional 25%, is that right, given by the government on top of what you normally give. So for example, if you give eight pounds, uh, the government gives an extra two pounds, taking a total of 10 pounds. Um, and we count that as part of your 10%. Uh, so uh, it's actually only 8% plus if you give the gift the reason for that, and that's a bit odd why didn't count those eight cents. The reason for that is that in America they do it by a tax deduction. And it would seem odd to people if we require that they then re donate the tax deduction and then re donate the deduction on the deduction and so on. If you calculate it all out, you get the same thing. So uh, um, basically, the way it works is that, uh, is that in effect, if you're earning enough, you're earning enough to give it eight percent.